This message is brought to you by Heartland Family Fellowship. Hi, my name is Steve Finney, and I will be your speaker today. We thank you for listening in on our podcast and hope that the Lord does bless you as you listen today. Well, we certainly want to welcome our online listeners. So the title of our message is New Covenant Living. And we're going to be taking several weeks to actually discuss the living aspect of the New Covenant. We just talked about some passages, and I want to bring out one of the key passages that we read today, and that is out of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, but I'm actually going to start with verse 4. Because this is actually the mandate that is being asked of us by Paul in regard to the new covenant. And it is. And and such confidence we have through Christ toward God. Now a lot of times, particularly if you're reading from the King James, it is put in such a way that you have to stop and kind of process exactly what is being through who and to who. So the confidence here that we are being given is actually through Christ, not toward ourselves. Most of us are actually self-taught that the gospel is all about us. God's trying to comfort us. He's trying to give us a good day. He's trying to help us stay focused today. He's trying to help us increase our ministry today. We make the gospel about us. We are certainly a part of that DNA, but this is a classic example of Paul saying that it is through Christ, the confidence is through Christ, and where does it go? Back to us? Toward God. I know that maybe there's a few of us here that have a hard time realizing that God is actually very self-centered. It's all about the I am. Jesus completely accepted that and continues to accept it as all glory goes unto the Father. And so we say that we believe that, but our actions typically is to rob, steal the glory of God, and we do that by trying to build confidence, even through Christ Jesus in our identity with him, back to ourselves. Not good. Because if we don't understand that this confidence that has been given to us is to be given through Christ and then toward God, we won't understand the adequacy issue that's being revealed here. So not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, But our adequacy is from God, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. There is not one situation that you could bring up in a counseling session that I cannot connect to this passage 
We spend our entire Christian lives killing each other with the letter of the law. You did this, you did that, you did this, you did that, you're not living this, you're not living that. And we are literally killing each other. It is murder. When you use the law, you are murdering. It's a weapon. The Bible is not lighthearted on this. It makes it very clear to us that the letter of the law kills and destroys. And when we use the letter of the law with body members, we are assaulting them. And there's only one way to stop the assault. I was wrong. And if you don't believe you were wrong in something, you say, I was wrong for leaving you with the impression. That's how I do it. You either were wrong or you're wrong for leaving an impression that they misunderstood you. Either way, it's the only way to stop the death process that that person has just put on you with the letter of the law. Most of us spend our time destroying our children and destroying family members and destroying our authority figures by putting the letter of the law upon them. The fact is, is you're literally turning the hand of God against you, even as a believer in Jesus Christ. God will not support the letter of the law destroying a believer, a new covenant person. He won't do it. There's no purpose for it. We're to be living, breathing in the adequacy of the new covenant. Adequacy means I have confidence and ability. That's adequacy. In other words, if you give me something to do, I can do it. And so what's being said here is, don't go thinking you can do it by the letter of the law. But you can say, I can do it through the new covenant. Okay, let's break this down a little bit. When you don't have to shout this answer out, but I really do, as I was sitting back this week and talking to the Lord about these questions, I wanted to put the questions out there that were not a little cute way to introduce a powerful concept. I wanted to put questions out there that if I was sitting at the right hand of the good Lord physically, which would be a wonderful thing, that what question would I want to know about even a given service? And here's the first one that came to mind is why are you guys here this morning? Because it is church and you got to go somewhere? Is it because you kind of made yourself get up and come to this place? The, and then the second question is going to be, wh why Heartland? What is the specific thing about this little fellowship that says to you, this is why I would come here versus the church a block from here or whatever the case may be. 
you need to know the specific reason why you choose your place of worship. Same thing with family. You have to be able to say, why, why do I come to a family event? Oh, is it to make people happy, to please them, to make reputation sturdier? What, or is it because of a belief? Why, why do I enjoy being a part of my particular family? What, what's so unique about my particular family versus another family? What's so unique about my sister versus someone else's sister? and so forth and so on. Two identity questions you need to ask yourself for fellowship. Why am I here? And why this group? If you can't answer those two, I'm asking you, don't come back. Don't bother. Because you're going to kill each other or someone in this body with the letter of the law. The only way you release yourself from using the letter of the law is to be accepted in the beloved in Christ Jesus. You have to embrace the fact you're accepted in the beloved in Christ Jesus. The reason why some churches grow very quickly is simply they feel welcome. They feel loved. That's what grows churches, sometimes in a bad way. You see, for a preacher to use the law effectively, and he must, in every message, he should always finish it with the new covenant. If you just finish it with the law and a challenge after the law, you're killing your people. But a preacher has to maintain the balance of both because there's unsaved people in the auditorium. There's unsaved people, which means they need the law to kill them and destroy them so that they want to come to Christ for new covenant, new life. The letter of the law is for the purpose of death to self so that you may find the life of Christ. Why do you do what you do? Now that could be as a profession, it could be as a parent, it could be a given task. Why is it you're doing it? God asked me this week several questions. I spent a couple hours with Walt this week and we poured over the scriptures and he gave a word of knowledge to me that I am going to end up framing. It had that big of an impact on me. And when I got back to my office, this is what I'm working on, and when I got back to my office, this question, why do you do what you do, Stephen, in respects to the passage that was given to me by the Lord through Walt, it had to do a lot with what's going to happen to me as a result of what I do. So, Dan gives me a passage. He sends to me over an email, almost matches exactly. There's words that come in before God saying, Steve, not only do you understand, you need to understand why you do what you do, what is your definition of being Christian? Are you willing to, like Walt comes in this morning, first thing out of his mouth is to talk about India and some missionaries he knew, 
uh, particularly one missionary that he knew who literally lost his wife and his children because of his faith and he went on with this story you see it just flows right into each other in an average discussion these questions are literally a flow of life why are you standing in front of this person Stephen let's make this practical why are you standing in front of this group of people representing Heartland? And why do you do what you do? What's the purpose of standing and preaching and sharing the Word of God? Tell me why, Stephen. What is your definition anyway of Christianity? Do you believe what you preach? You see the flow? Because right now... I have to count the cost of my view of being a Christian. So what I want to give you is I spent about four hours pouring over the word and research material of the word because I wanted to put on paper, I get emails saying, what do you mean by this statement? You don't believe that the term Christian is a wise term to use today. Okay, I'm realizing I'm getting a lot of feedback on this thing. I just rattle it off because it's what I believe and what I believe for a very long time because I, in my head, have the end times connected with today. But see, most people don't. They live for today. So, I put together a one-page fact sheet and anyone who's listening online this is posted in my library. If you go to iomamerica.org and click on the download page, there is a media library that will pop up. Scroll down until you see definition of Christian. And you can print this off for yourself. It is a very solid definition from the Hebrew and the Greek on Christian. So... You want to pass these out for us? Casey? Tori? Want to pass them out? Everyone who can read little letters like that, give them one. So this is kind of a sermon all by itself, but I'm going to read the warning paragraph at the bottom, and then as you read this, you're actually going to understand what it is and why I am saying what I say. The warning being, I am of the belief that in the last days, the enemy, Satan, will use the term Christian to lead the world unto him through a global religion that possibly will be called Christian. If Christian means Christ follower, and what you're going to find in my explanation on this page is basically Christian means to be a follower. It does not mean indwelt. The term was actually initially assigned to disciples, which is what they, are, they called themselves, is disciples. They did not call themselves Christians. They started using the term Christians when the label was put upon them. And it did not mean indwelt believer. That is very, very important you understand this because... What is going to happen in the end times, I believe, is this. That 
if Christian means Christ follower, and since Satan will introduce himself as Christ, it would be easy for him to make the apocalyptic swap of the Christ Jesus for himself, which is the Antichrist. He has, logically, just like in the, the rebels that called this group of people Christians, it will be used in the end times prophetically as the term to say they are Christ followers. So when you look up the term Christ, it means Messiah. Messiah means world controller. Christ is control of the world. His father gave it to him. Well, see, the Antichrist thinks he's the world controller. One world government. One world religion. One world economics. You see? So it's an easy swap for him to use the term Christian. That's why I am imploring you to please use the term indwelt Christian if you want to use the term Christian. I still use the term Christian, but I try to put indwelt before it so people will ask, what do you mean by that? Well, there's a difference in Christ follower and Christ in you, like the passage we just read for you. Through Christ, we have that confidence. Through Christ, for the purpose of the Father. That's the reason why we're given the privilege to be, be bridal members of Christ and that is for the Father. Okay, moving on. Number five is what is being in ministry? A lot of people think it's being a part of a 501c3. I wanted to just take a moment during this particular question and thank our volunteers. We went from um, when the International Exchange Live Global Initiative was given back to IOM America. We went from the workers being Jane, Jess, and Steve, Kathy in Colorado, and a few other workers, to uh, when I closed shop yesterday, we had 32 official registered, signed up volunteers, and a fourth of them want to become full-time ministry workers of IOM America because they are getting excited about ministry of the exchange life worldwide. This is such a critical issue in ministry is that we're all in ministry of sharing through Christ instead of for Christ. There may only be one word difference, but that one word can lead people away from Christ. What is full-time ministry? Good question. Can you be in a business and still be in full-time ministry? What is your role in the community? Community actually comes from the same word that communion comes from. Communion means what? Does anyone want to take a guess? certainly does. Communion comes from the word oneness, becoming one. So when you have a community, supposedly the people in this living community all have the same beliefs. 
that's originally how cultures got started. Communities got started. That does not mean that anymore. Community of believers typically means you all have the same belief booklet that you're living from. Finally, number eight is, what is the role of the church in the local community? These are all questions we're going to be addressing as we go through this. Married to the law. Those who are married to the law or are friends with the law are never allowed to make a mistake, have a bad day, indulge themselves, must always be on time and maintain their focus at everything they do. And if you don't, you are up for grabs to be judged. Well, I want you to know what you're staring at is Steve Finney. In and of myself, that is the short list. So as I'm sitting there at my desk praying for a paragraph to kind of generically cover my flesh, this is what the Lord put in my mind, and I typed it out, and I walked away from this slide going, but please remember, this is your short list. Because your long list would scare the daylights out of anyone. In fact, your long list would send you to hell if it wasn't for the grace of Jesus Christ, the new covenant. So here's our theme for today. People with pride oftentimes wear a sign around their neck or necks that says, never fail when you are around me, and if you do, I will deny you the privilege of having relationship with me. Now, a lot of times people use silence as punishment, but the only thing they're really communicating is, I am wounded, I am hurt, and most people who walk after their flesh, when they're wounded and hurt, is they stay in a cave long enough to heal. Well, that's okay, but just make sure you come out of the cave. Get some sunshine. Because if you stay in the cave, we know what darkness does. Humble people and broken people are comfortable with people failing around them due to their trust in Jesus using his kindness from within to lead those who sin unto himself. We need to get to the point where we're comfortable with people sinning around us. Because I, last I heard, that's kind of how sinners are. They sin. They need to see the grace and power of Christ in you and around you so that they are led to Christ by that type of kindness. My best friend, those who have the laws, their best friend, typically hand themselves or another a daily list of responsibilities and feel guilty if they don't complete it. They get up every morning and, or the night before is the way I used to do it. And before they go to sleep at night, they pencil out the to-do list for the next day and then they drive themselves into uh, hostility. Remember the Hebrew definition of hostility? It's hostility comes from the same root word as hospitable. Hospitable 
is where we get the word hospital, which means place of healing. So when you're hostile, you're refusing to be a place of healing for a wounded soul. There you have it. As simple as it is. And so when we go through this daily list, we are literally driving ourselves into hostility. Remember James chapter 4, what God said about those who are friends with the world? Make themselves enemies of God. In fact, several of the translations uses the term hostile toward God. In other words, God's not going to be your hospital. I don't care how long you've been saved. If you're friends with the world, you're saying you want to drink from that cup. If you're friends with Christ, you're saying you want to drink from the new covenant cup. The cup in which you drink from is where you get your identity. Those who have Jesus as their best friend knows that Christ is able to sympathize with their weaknesses. So why wouldn't they sympathize with the weaknesses of another. Those same believers understand that all that Christ Jesus asked them to do knows that he himself fully intends to do the doing through them. Which is the confidence passage that we were reading earlier. Here's the key. Being married to Christ instead of acceptance based on completing the list, he assures you and I that you can never lose his love and provide you with an eternal significant purpose excuse me for living and that's out of Revelation 21 9 that is the basis of new covenant living so anytime you think failure connected with anything you do in a given day you're just admitting you are one or you can be the extreme that's power of success, the power of prayer, the power of asking, the power of there's... There are Christians all over the world pressing God like a slot machine because they believe in the power of prayer. I fear for those souls. I never ask God for anything that I have not been inspired by the Holy Spirit to ask. You see, Christ in you even does the inspiration before you request before the Father. That's why it is said that you can pray all you want, but it's the Holy Spirit who utters the right words before the Lord. Because a lot of times our prayers are just flat out, gimme, 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 gimme. And the Holy Spirit is not going to go to the Father and say, well, Finney wants another whatever. We going to give it to him? Because he's, he's down there claiming whatever he asks in my name. No, we will not be giving that to him. But you see, if the Holy Spirit inspires Steve Finney to go before the Lord and ask for a specific thing, which can be a person, place, or thing, and in him 
we are requesting this in his name, we shall receive it. Guaranteed. But if you think everything that pops into your mind because it sounds good and inspirational is going to motivate the hand of God because you're using his name like a slot machine, that's beyond hypocrisy. And I'm telling you, the majority of the church is moving in the direction of name it, claim it, stab it, and slab it. Which means use the letter of the law like death. So you either got extreme legalism or extreme naming it and claiming it. My experience is the name it and claim it people are the most legalistic people that walk the face of the earth. Because if you don't join them in that theology, they are absolutely legalistic with you. You are not, you are, you are, you are, you are. And a lot of times I will say no just to see how they respond. Because the letter of law kills and destroys. And if I see the letter of the law after a discussion of name it and claim it, I have my proof. And so should they. I shall not ask the Lord thy God for anything unless the spirit of the living God who lives in me says, Stephen, ask now. That takes a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Right? And to hear the Lord. Three self-approaches. Here's number one. Do what is right. If I repent and then do what is right, then I will live righteously. Do you know how many repentances there are in a given day around the world that falls into this category? You know, at least I repented. Or if I repent, now you want to know where that came from? I pleaded with the Lord many times on this particular point. It's because of, of my mind functions a lot like a counselor. After I'm done sharing the principle, I like to reveal the sin. And after I'm done revealing the sin, I like to be able to say where I think it came from. And if I've gathered my data as a counselor, I'm typically able to tell them the reason why they do what they do. Because flesh is flesh. It's not that difficult to analyze. When children repent and say, Mommy, I was wrong. I was wrong for kicking my sister. Will you please forgive me? And they're routining this. They're saying it like it was wrote, like it was written for them in a script. Like they're in a play. Because that child knows there is a reward on the other side of that confession. Either an ice cream cone or some crackers or a hug or a smile or some type of reinforcement that says, Good boy! Good girl! And the fact is, you've led that child into the destruction of the law. You're lying to that kid. There's no other way to say it. You are lying to that child because doing what is right sends people to hell every single day. Do you know how many people are dying this hour as we're preaching? And do you know the percentage probably of the people who are dying from 10 o'clock to noon? 
90% probably of the people who are dying are going to hell because they believe they did what was right. Why? Because mommy and daddy reinforced them with a cracker every time they said I was wrong. You say, well then how do we train children? You never have a child say I was wrong until the conscience says they were wrong. And you keep coming back to them until they're able by themselves to embrace I was wrong. So that takes some training of the parents in the new covenant. And modeling. And it's how Christ parents us. Or God the Father parents us. Number two, fix what is wrong approach. If I fix the fix that, got, that is fixed on me, then I can live righteously. Well, just tell me what's wrong, honey. Just tell me what I need to fix. And I'll fix it. So, she tells you what's wrong and you fix it. You reach in your tool belt and you pull out, I can, I will. And you tighten up the loose bolts and you fix this fix. Basically to fix her from always complaining. And the fact being, you are destroying her by obeying, fix this. It turns into second-hand Christianity so fast it'll make you vomit. And many return to that vomit as it says in Proverbs. This is not a good way to fix this problem. Number three, get what is missing. Man, if I just, if I just take a few more notes, if I just listen a little more carefully, if I just figure out what's wrong, then I'm going to be okay. And I'll write it down, I'll memorize it, I'll pray about it, I'll research it or whatever. Not to say any of those things are wrong because they're not. It is what we do with the initial problem that can be wrong. All three of these appear to be very righteous. You know, repenting, fixing things, and to be taught. The way you usually typically find out if someone is walking and living in sin is you go from the bottom up. You go, are they teachable? Are they able to make choices on what you taught them? And number three, does the righteousness come on its own or do they practice it? Righteousness is like blood flow. It pours out of you as a result. You see, it's not practiced. It's a result. Teachable? Christ fixes it through me? I have the inheritance of the righteousness of Christ. Which is what our turkey, who is really an eagle, is about to realize. Here's the Old Covenant style. You have actually an indwelt, born-again Christian. The born-again indwelt Christian, Christ has complete ownership of the whole island, so to speak, but he's given the prerogative by the Father to purify a third of that island, and in this illustration it's called the Spirit. The Spirit is 100% perfect. The Spirit is 100% redeemed. 
The Spirit is 100% uh, righteous in salvation, acceptance of that salvation, assurance of that salvation, and total commitment from Christ. It's 100%. But that person could hold their hand up between the mind and the spirit, the soul and the spirit. The Word of God says that it is so sharp it can literally divide the soul from the spirit. So why do we believe in trichotomy? That would be what I would call a duh. The soul and the spirit is clearly two separate pieces that God clearly says in many passages in the Bible. And I have a book that a friend of mine wrote called Body, Soul, and Spirit by Dr. John Woodward. If you're interested, please log on to... Um, gfi.org and check that book out. It's considered one of the one of two books in the history of the church that does a well excellent job of explaining what I'm sharing with you in 5 minutes. But the word of God literally can divide the soul and the spirit. It is able to literally divide the joint from the marrow, physical so that's your third part's being mentioned in this passage. And it literally can judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart, which is soul, mind, will, and emotions. So the mind has the ability to go, read the hand, God. Read the hand. There's nothing in your palm that God's going to read but rebellion. And he'll leave that hand up between the passageway of the soul and the spirit. And you think there's some fixing that we can do to get that hand down? Or some choices we're going to make? Are you kidding? The word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword, able to divide the soul from the spirit, the joint from the marrow, and able to judge every thought and intention of the heart. God needs to lead this person into complete revolutionary change from the inside out through the brokenness of I cannot have adequacy in the Old Covenant. Can't do it. People of adequacy in the Old Covenant is that I'm going to destroy you with the law are just bound up. And they act like the spirit of the living God has set them free to do and say all this. And I'm like, yeah, right. Why would God preach against his own truth? So you see, me has to think. Me has to choose. Me has to feel. Me has to have the body desires and then have selfish behavior. The only true approach is this. The New Covenant approach, number one, release what is right in you, which is Christ himself. Two, since your salvation, there are supernatural resources permanently residing within your mind, will, and emotions. They're there. You literally have the mind of Christ inside of you. You literally have the will of the Father living inside you. You literally have the emotive of God, the passion of God living inside you. Either that, or we're serving a God that's a liar. 
And God forbid that because God is not lying. And if he said he put the mind of Christ in us, he did. If he put the life of Christ in us, he did. If he put the will of the Father in us, he did. The new covenant, whatever comes with it, if he said that's what it is and what is in it, then it is in us. And we are it. Three, whatever good God requires of you, he has already placed them within you. This is called the rivers of living blood. Oh, excuse me, water. You see, the river of living blood is what flows out of me. So if you want to have someone redeemed and made alive, you let the river of blood flow out of you to cleanse them, to lead them to salvation, to drink the blood, to be covered with the blood. Demons will do healings. Do you understand that? Jesus said, there will be some that will come and say, I preached in your name, casted out demons in your name, did miracles in your name. And Jesus says, well, come on in. No. He says, be gone from you, me, you evil and vile generation, for I know you not. Blood on the outside is not the same as drinking the blood. Tasting the blood and spitting it out is not the same as ingesting the blood. Ingesting the blood, the living water, is salvation. It goes into every cell of your body. That's salvation. That's an indwelt believer. Finally, number four, God requires us only what he has already placed within us. If it's not in you, forget about him requiring it of you. Just forget it. So now we have this diagram. Christ through the Spirit, which is his dwelling place. This is the Holy of Holy Rooms. Remember that in the temple? The Ark of the Covenant? This room here is the room for the high priest. Okay? And this room right here is the room, the outer room, which is where everything is hosted. The temple that is spelled out, if you want to get into some of these pictures in Rose Publishing, that's a publisher I strongly recommend for this kind of thing. Check it out. That's why you're called the Temple of the Holy Spirit. You have three parts and it's verified because it matches the temple. And those who believe in dichotomy, I feel bad for them because they're saying the temple has two rooms. They don't get it. They don't get that God uses all the natural things to understand the supernatural. So through the inner room, innermost room, comes to the inner room and renews the mind, the mind of Christ. The will gets renewed for to follow the will of Christ and then the emotions support the uh, choices that are made, dumps into the body as Christ's life behavior. I really don't know how much simpler that we can make this. We're almost done. Defending the Old Covenant. Why do we protect the Old Covenant? Because the law 
is very satisfying to the flesh. Do you know how good it feels to make someone feel bad and see the look on their face that they feel bad? It is absolutely the most beautiful feeling in the world. For about five minutes. Then the hand comes up. You don't want to hear God's conviction. You don't want to, you don't want to, you don't want to. What we have to do is break through in that five minutes. Is to appropriate who we are. And let the blood, the river of that, that living blood flow out of us during that five minutes. You get in the habit of doing that. And you are living the new covenant life. Number one, we are afraid of others seeing our flaws. Number two, we are covering up our past. That's a huge one. Number three, we want to be in first place. See, once you can answer those questions, you are immovable. Shoot them, kill them, put them on stake, slap them to death, and all you're going to get is another revelation. Stephen, right? Oh, I see the Lord. I wonder how those Muslims... And Jewish people were feeling as they were stoning, you know, uh, Stephen to death. I wonder how they were feeling when they just saw him have an intimate discussion with Jesus. That's where we're supposed to be. And I'll be the first to admit, I'm not there. It hurts to be rejected. We want to avoid being confronted. Number five, we want others thinking more highly of us in order to live out the observer's views. That is huge. See, if you give me the law, that means you're giving me your Bible. And if you're going to hold me to your laws, therefore I have to live up to your Bible. Therefore, you're forcing me into second-hand Christianity. Thus, you're forcing God to test my Christianity. What is being a Christian? The only way I know to find out what being Christian is is to stick the guy in a furnace. Number six, to have our name stand out above others. And then number seven is obviously pride. Second things first, realistically, what is the first thing you seek in life? Well, reputation, safety, security, predictability, happiness, possessions, trustworthy relationships. So what exactly is first in God's viewpoint? To further the glory of God. God does not exist for us. We exist for him and reveal the glory of his name. And number four, all of our to-dos are to bring glory to God. And then finally, to enhance God's reputation, not our own. Well, all reactions are a sign of truth. So if you're talking to someone and you're literally revealing what's going on inside their soul and they react by rejecting you, that is the evidence you, you're right. You should keep moving with it. See what I mean? That is if you believe this is knowledge is given to you from God. So that's the point. That's why people kill each other is because someone's pointing out something inside them that they don't want to look at, so they want to persecute them and kill them. That's what's behind persecution. You are right. When they are persecuting with words or fables or, you know, physically, they're saying, you are correct. If there's no reaction, 
Then it's left to the prophet to see, did I really hear you, God? This is so simple, it's ridiculous. Christ is enough. Let's take a look at this. God seeks to go public. Number one, the local church is to show the dark world the kind of, kind of God he really is. Two, body of Christ members are to demonstrate there is only one God by caring for one another in such a way that unbelievers are amazed at who we are. Three, God is more interested in rescuing his name than he is in rescuing your name. But you see, he does not disregard your name because your name was given to you by him. And that is something that a lot of people have a hard time embracing, is their name. Stephen means crowned one, and as the joke I've told you guys, is my mother said that to me my whole entire childhood, and that is, I'm going to crown you. And I thought when, God, when I asked God for a new name, and I did, and I believe all Christians should ask God for a new name, and I believe God will tell you what his name is for you. And... He did respond years ago, and I wrote it down. It's in my journal, and he renamed me Stephen, the Redeemed One. Well, he added Redeemed onto Crowned One because there's going to be a lot of glory in what it is that I do, and I need to remember to lay those crown, that crown at his feet. And secondly, you have the privilege of carrying that crown because I redeemed you. I redeemed you. So my name becomes a representation of his name. That's how we need to view it. New heart. This is our closing slide. Lord, please cleanse me. We're going to pray this in a minute. If you're not ready to pray it, don't. If you are ready to pray it, do. I'll read it first. Lord, please cleanse me from all of my filthiness and from all my idols. I accept the new heart and the new spirit you put within me. Thank you for taking my heart of stone out of my flesh and in return giving me a heart of flesh, not sin flesh as in tenderness. I glory in you, placing your spirit within me and causing me to walk in your statutes. And, of course, that's right out of Ezekiel 36, 24 through 27. Almost word for word, I just changed the personal pronouns. So if you're able to read this silently in your heart as I pray it out loud, please join me in this. Dear Father, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit that lives and dwells within each of us who are born again. Those who are not born again listening to this, I pray, Father God, that your spirit would touch them no matter where they're at. I pray, Father God, that you would reveal to them that the law is killing them and destroying them and will send them to hell if they do not receive the power of the blood of Jesus Christ through salvation. Father, I pray for those unsaved people right now who want to get saved right now. I pray that they would confess their sins before you. They would repent and say they can't live life without you living in them. I pray that you would move them to ask the Holy Spirit to indwell them. 
I pray, Father God, that they would understand that they are redeemed. They're made alive. They are proclaimed in Jesus' name to be written in the book of life. Father God, whether they're in Pakistan or whether they're in India or Russia or America or in this, this town we live in, I pray for their salvation in Jesus' name. And God, those of us who are saved and who have filth in our lives, this I pray. Lord, please cleanse me from all of my filthiness and from all of my idols. I can accept the new heart and the new spirit you put within me. Thank you for taking my heart of stone out and throwing it as far as the east is from the west. And in its place you have put a heart of flesh, tenderness. I glory in you placing the Holy Spirit within me and causing me to walk in your law of the spirit of life. Thank you for joining us today. Heartland Family Fellowship is a local church plant here in Sterling, Kansas. Our fellowship includes the family and all levels of worship. Our mission is to bring families back together spiritually, relationally, and physically. Many people ask us, what does that really mean, or how does it benefit them? Well, it means that you can bring your entire family to any of Heartland's events, and we will work to keep the focus on God Jesus Christ, and the body of Christ without dividing up the family at the front door. If you're interested in learning more about our fellowship or other family-integrated fellowships, please log on to our website. That is www.heartlandfellowships.org. We thank you for joining us. Get yourself and a Bible, lose a shirt off your back. Need a floor, need a couch, need a bus fare.